Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 252 for Monday, July 3rd, 2023. My name is Joel Duggan, and joining me as always is Johnny, but you may know him as the rebooted Pixar of Hello, sir. Hello. Uh, not quite fully rebooted yet, but I'm still, yeah, I'm still processing some stuff. Um, we've been talking about that in the render distance. The dark clouds are still over Joel in Canada, and the dark clouds are mostly over my head as I deal with my PC issues. We've been chatting about both of those in the render distance. That's the extended version of the podcast, which you can get over at patreon.com slash thespawnchunks. If you sign up to our Patreon, you get a special RSS feed that has a bunch of bonus content in it, and it's the first episode of a new month so we like to give our patrons an extra thank you for their support and to remind you of the upcoming events in our patron calendar the monthly minecraft hangout from june had to be postponed due to my pc issues we will be back with that soon but stay tuned for exactly when because my pc might need to be sent off to be repaired so we'll try and figure out a date for that soon otherwise we'll do a mammoth episode of it later in july when everyone's had even more opportunity to get deeper into 1.20 we should also have a quarterly hangout arriving sometime later this month so once again stay tuned for the dates on that as well so what has been new in the world of the minecraft survival guide season three yeah um i've just completed a structures week in survival guide i talked about that i think a little bit on last week's show we've been looking at some generated structures we already had shipwrecks and desert temples so i did a little bit of early archaeology stuff in the desert temple and the desert well um, but after that, I went to a couple of different abandoned mine shafts, one at deep slate level and one in a Badlands biome. And <laughs> incidentally, some very keen-eyed people went back through my footage and I found a comment where somebody pointed out that there had been a desert fossil generated above me in part of this abandoned mine shaft that I hadn't noticed because the bone blocks generated inside of the sandstone. And I I need to go back there and do an episode about fossils now because that's the first wow. time I've really run into one without going, okay, I need to scour this desert biome or swamp biome in order to, to find one. Um, so kind of excited that uh, I stumbled upon that without really knowing it. Structures within structures somehow became the theme uh, because the last thing I went to was an igloo, which generated in a really weird spot. Uh, my base is in a hilly region it's right next to a meadow the mountain with the cherry grove on it is obviously kind of the landmark that i'm closest to but south of there there is a really tiny snowy slopes biome which is literally like a chunk of snow and then that's kind of it you know it's not perfectly square but there's there's basically about enough blocks to cover a full chunk and an igloo managed to generate off to one side of that in a flower forest like it's separate from the biome itself but probably just generated on like one corner of a block and that's where it decided to start the igloo in the world generation so that's in a flower forest which is already a really weird place for it but then i thought okay that's a great uh, opportunity if it has a basement to go down there and start talking about villager curing and tee up this week's videos which are all about the process of dealing with villagers and trading and that kind of stuff and so I went down to investigate the villager curing, sort of the, the zombie villager and the villager next to each other in the cells. And I found out that a zombie spawner had generated in the back corner of this igloo basement. And it had overwritten enough of the wall of the igloo to let the regular villager out. 
and almost get him killed by zombies. <laughs> so wow. it was immediate, like, Benny Hill music playing in my mind, chaos. Um, which was super fun, though, because there was, I think there was a skeleton that had spawned in there already, because there was also, like, no, um, no lighting in there with the, with the spawner. There's light, there's torches that generate naturally in the igloo basement, but it wasn't enough to reach the back corner of the spawner. Skeletons are going to leave the villagers alone, but one zombie spawned as I got down there, and luckily targeted me instead of the villager. Uh, so at that point, I was able to rush in, light up the spawner, and think, well, now I've got basically a built-in villager zombification and curing set up on my hands. Wow. So, so I talked through the process of curing uh, zombie villagers, and I'm not doing it yet because I'm still playing on normal difficulty until later on in the, the, the show I tend to upgrade to hard difficulty and talk about the differences between difficulty settings. But one of the things I talked about straight away was, okay... If I'm on normal, there's a 50% chance that this villager zombifies if it gets hit, killed by a zombie. There's a 50% chance that he just dies and I lose a villager. So I'm not going to be messing around with this until we're fully on hard difficulty and I can zombify them 100% of the time. But that was just one of those hilarious like coincidences. And the funniest thing about it is it's exposed something to me that I was vaguely aware of but had never really run into this issue before and it's that some people's worlds aren't going to have that zombie spawner because in some cases it will fail to generate because the igloo structure overlaps it and somebody in my comments even had the insight that maybe it's to do with the direction that you approach those chunks from when you load it for the first time the game can fail to generate a structure if there are obstructions in the way and so some people who are sharing the world seed playing on Java Edition, playing in the exact same version that I am, went to see that igloo and said, wait a minute, mine doesn't have a zombie spawner. What are you talking about? How has it done this? And so it's really odd to me that despite the parity between not just Bedrock and Java, but, you know, the, the seed being able to be played across everybody else's different versions, there are still some occasions on which those anomalies will occur and they won't get a hundred percent of the things that i have and a lot of people are now saying this this seed is too good to you like the seed is like throwing you all of these treats like a a, a fossil that you barely even notice because of the abandoned mine shaft you're exploring and a, a built-in zombie spawner as part of an igloo with a, a zombie villager in there it's just it's fun i'm having a lot of fun with this world in general and uh the only other thing i did this week was explore nether fortresses where i have one in a soul sand valley that i basically showed up in after making a portal back from the desert and that one doesn't have an interior you get to the point where the the hub of the nether fortress is with that lava well in the center and then the corridor that should extend beyond that just wraps back around into outside parapets so i'm like that's going to be a with a skeleton farm someplace down the line but at least i had another nether fortress i knew about that i could go and raid the chests get the new armor trim get all of the you know nether wart and everything like that but for a, for a second there, I had a nether fortress that didn't have any of the interior stuff. So uh, it, it's been been throwing me a few curveballs this week, but I've been enjoying it despite the PC issues. Something that's really lucky and really cool about that is that you are a Minecraft player that has enough you know experience to take advantage of that nether fortress for the Wither Skeleton Farm to look at that zombie spawner clipping the igloo and know, hey, down the line, this could be a really easy way to uh, get villagers turned into uh, into zombified villagers and back again for trading halls, all that kind of stuff. And uh, I think that um, it's a great thing 
that the seed is being quote unquote too good to you because I, th I think it, it gives a real opportunity for you to create some cool things down the line and and plan for that not to mention as you said you're having fun like it 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 adds a more enjoyment for someone that's played you know countless minecraft worlds over their time you know yeah absolutely yeah i, I think it, it's really nice to have such an ideal environment to be making tutorials from because yeah it, it makes my job a lot easier one of the things that is harder to consider about this stuff and the, the approach that i've had to take with it sometimes is this is still you know i'm still playing minecraft professionally quote unquote right i'm still trying to use my time as efficiently as i can and and get to more of the tutorial stuff without having to do the grind of exploring for ages and that's one of the the things where if i was playing this world like casually i might be looking up more stuff in chunk base or i might be looking up less stuff in chunk base so that i can have you know a, more of a discovery experience of this world whereas it helps me to know where some of this stuff is it helps that i can find a mineshaft that has a couple of cave spider spawners in close proximity to each other so that i can then discuss here's what we do when we find multiple spawners nearby each other mm -hmm. and just having convenient stuff like that pop up really makes my job easier so i don't have to go searching for it artificially or otherwise that's something that i I miss about having a new Minecraft world is that sense of discovering like that really cool nether fortress that's perfect for a farm or is going to suit your purposes really well or you know having um that those triple spawners like we we had that on the citadel for the longest time a triple spider spawner uh cave spider spawner was our source of xp it was our source of string um we had all kinds of stuff going going on that particular project and it was great for the longest time it did us i think right up until we had the gold farm i think that was like by far the the best xp because you didn't have to travel very far to go it was right in the meadows uh dartmouth meadows you know kind of our spawn town and that discovery was just really cool when i realized oh my gosh there's like two or three blocks that i can stand on that activates all three of these spawners like it by a hair yeah you know uh, you had that opportunity and i thought this is really cool i've seen people build spawners before i've not built one personally i don't think at that point but i was like now i have the challenge of like how do i figure out how to do three of these yeah you know so it was, it was a lot of math there was a lot of graph paper because i was brand new like it, the server was only you know a couple of weeks old at that point but yeah it's um that those kind of discoveries are, are really really fun that it, it gets outweighed for me by the grind of like not having all the blocks and not having all the armor and not having all the enchants on your boots and helmet and all that kind of stuff. Like that's where I start playing into Minecraft world where I think like it's nice and shiny. And then I was, then I hit the wall and I'm like, Oh, right. Everything that I want to do is going to take me an eon yeah. <laughs> until I'm all, you know, until my progress, my progress. I think the progress grind is where I get caught in a new world in Minecraft. Whereas yeah. the exploring grind, I never seem to get bored of that. Like I'm always happy to, travel over the next hill and wander around and see what cool things are out there especially now with all the new you know the new generation of, of biomes and we've got of course the caves and cliffs update and then we've got you know trail ruins like all there's so much stuff out there now uh, even just rowing across the ocean uh, or flying around the ocean when i was looking for that cherry grove a couple like a week or so ago uh seeing ruins 
and and thinking like oh man i should you know i have to make a mental note on these because like i could I, there's sniff rigs i have to think about there's mm-hmm. armor trim i have to think about like there's all these reasons now to slow down and stop when you're out traveling around the world and and i think that that's um that's something that i i don't think gets too old for me is is exploring and seeing what's around the corner um it just then becomes like a how much do I want to add to my to-do list of this is a cool place to build something? And he was like, now I've got like seven projects for the next 12 years in my yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> I've definitely been taking screenshots of coordinates left and right when I do live streams, when I'm like just exploring, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, between clips and I stumble across like, you know, I, I row across an ocean to get to this village I'm working with now in the savannah and there's an ocean monument on the way. And I go, well, that's a future episode once I do potion brewing and this and that. And, you know, I've got like a long checklist of stuff to do at this point hopefully some of which i'll get to do before i send my pc away to be uh fixed up um but yeah that's been that's been my week i played a little bit of minecraft bingo as well um that's had a couple of updates recently for for balance so when you need to find stuff from geodes it's nice and quick to find those now where they were previously very scarce they now generate a lot more frequently in those worlds so that's uh yeah super handy to to have a a format like that that's continuously updated, I think, is is really fun. So I've been playing a bit more of that as well. But uh, that's me. How's the Citadel looking these days? Uh, I have not done a lot of progress on the Citadel this week because I had to cancel a, a couple of streams. One, I just took the day off because I needed to. The other one, I just had other things going on and it just was a conflict. And they just happened to be my days or two of the days where I had a Minecraft stream scheduled. So like Wednesday, I played Satisfactory because that was the day that worked. But it's also what's on the schedule. So I try to stick to, you know, the expectations of, of what people are coming for. So I only had a couple of streams in Minecraft. And to be honest, I'm feeling a bit of burnout on West Hill. And I think it has to do with the slow and or tedious things that have been at the bottom of the to do list. And they're they're going to get done. Uh, they're just things that look really good in the end, like a custom swamp biome out the front of the, you know, the front wall, uh, custom foliage in front of different places. I've done it before. It looks fantastic, but I know how long it takes. And I also know, like, it's one of those things where you you have to have an absolute ton of different stuff in your inventory. Like you're just constantly full of stuff and it, it becomes a tedious experience building the way that I want things to look. So um, I know I've been kind of putting that stuff off. So I did a little bit of um, puttering uh, on my streams this week where I still had a couple more hanging signs I wanted to, to do. I had finished up most of the hanging signs in the West last week uh, or the week before. And then I um, I went down the main road. So the entry had a spot where I wanted to put something. Uh, it was like a, a book and quill, which looks really cool on a hanging sign. I also went and copied a couple of different symbols to see what would work and i found like uh, i don't know what they're called it's like a bullet point you know like if you're doing a list and i copied one of those and brought that over and in in minecraft it just turns out to be like a pixel square but it looks like a nice little tack like a nice little nail or something like that so i was able to use that in conjunction with the armor stand uh data pack the armor statues data pack excuse me from vanilla tweaks uh to get like a little book and quill hanging outside of, I guess we could call it a registry office. It's like, hey, you're new to town. You should let us know who you are. You're here, you know, like that kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what it would be called or why people would even bother to stop, but it just, it makes for a functional building at the front. Um, so I did that. And then there was like a mess hall 
uh, farther down that was meant to be like a, a, a place where the guards would go to drink different than where the townspeople would go to drink, you know, have a pint, that kind of thing. And uh, I've been using a vertical sword to kind of indicate different areas that are guard or kind of military related in the town. So I just hung, uh, again, a vertical sword with the armor statues data pack on a hanging sign. And it looks good. Like it, it kind of it makes sense. It feels really simple. Um, I did a cobbler sign, which uh, now this brings in another data pack. I have the um, they go by Axel now the axle tables and chairs set a pack and one of the tools that you get which allows you to change the tables is a furniture hammer and so because i can make that hammer i made the hammer and i hung the hammer on a sign uh with a tripwire hook and it looks like kind of like a hammer and a shoe tack a little bit uh -huh, so right, that's yeah. that's the cob that's the cobbler sign and then last but not least uh this had nothing to do with hanging signs this was all data pack but the Northern Barracks has a, an evenly spaced door. It's four blocks wide. So you can't really hang a hanging sign in the middle of it because you don't have a one central block. And I've done this before on the leather shop where I've taken two spruce trap doors and used the Armor Statues data pack to put a leather tunic. Kind of looks like it's, it's tacked up or, or painted onto these. So it looks like a, a leather shop sign. So for the barracks, what I did was I used three armor stands I put the armor on one and then I put a sword in the hand of each. And a fun trick that I used was I used a stone sword and an iron sword. And the stone sword is behind the iron sword. So it kind of looks like an illustration where you'd put the sword behind in perspective in shadow just because the stone sword is a darker gray than the iron sword. And so you've got this kind of like chest armor with crossed swords it looks like a crest over yeah, the north sure, barracks sure. entrance and i thought it was really fun it, it worked out well and uh, while i was there i got a little bit uh not out of control but the, the the perfectionist in me said like oh wait a minute it's been a really long time since i've made this door i've made better doors since so i added like smokers and some functionality with like a button and a lever to the door to make it look like if they shut the door they could then lock the door mm -hmm. and so that that kind of stuff was fun but that's it like i just i kind of just i went in there and i had a, i had a loose plan of what i wanted to do and i just started walking up and down the streets and going like oh that needs something and oh that needs something and oh i forgot that cobbler sign and that kind of thing uh so that's that's what i did for most of the the day i think the only thing where I didn't finish everything was I started getting into uh, chiseled bookshelves and man, do I prefer these over <laughs> the, the traditional bookshelves. Well, they're they're uh, customizable, right? Like, so you can, yeah. you can do a whole lot more with them and combine them with the other bookshelves as well. It's not like an either or situation. So no, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so then the, the traditional bookshelves or the, the vanilla bookshelves, I don't know what you could want to call them. Just bookshelves. Um, they look like they have files on them now to me. Like the mm -hmm. books don't feel that beefy. And the new ones obviously feel like books, like bound leather, you know, gold leaf kind of books. And and what I like so much about the chisel bookshelves is that by filling them up, not all the way, it adds some life, some movement, some uh, use to the bookshelves. It looks like something has been picked up and put back and maybe not put back exactly where it was supposed to go. And, and I really like that. And it adds that level of depth. So I was taking down a lot of looms that I had put up on the walls that looked like empty bookshelves. 
but you always had that choice of like, is it an entirely empty bookshelf or it's a bookshelf? Well, now you can have partially filled bookshelves. You can have mostly empty if you want them to be. Uh, the other thing that I really like about the chisel bookshelves is that they're directional and that you uh, don't have bookshelf on all four sides. Yeah. You, so if it doesn't make any sense to have a bookshelf kind of facing a window, then you don't. You can use the chisel bookshelf uh to to have it face forward and i haven't done it yet but i've got a funny feeling that chisel bookshelves are going to come in handy because they have a really too, cool pattern on the top and imagine as part of a floor they could look pretty decorative if you wanted to do them you know use them that way um i have had mixed results intermingling bookshelves and chiseled bookshelves i think the best way to do it is pay attention to the books that you're placing in the chisel bookshelves there's two that are like magenta and purple and there are no magenta or purple books in the regular bookshelf. They're all blue, green, red, and I think maybe yellow. Um, and so if you remove the purple and the magenta books from the chisel bookshelves, they look like they go better with the traditional regular bookshelves. Right. Yeah. And so whenever I whenever I did that and I was like, this looks kind of funny to me. And it's because like the one chisel bookshelf that I put next to the regular bookshelf, there was a purple book on it. And as soon as I switched out the purple book for like a uh, a cyan or a blue in it i was like yeah I, I can live with a different placement because unfortunately in the chisel bookshelf the top right is always purple yeah. right and i think maybe the bottom one of the, the bottom middle maybe one of the it's always the same color no matter what you do and so that to me was like okay i have to not I have to remember like if i'm using a mix i have to not do the, um certain areas but they're really expensive you go through a lot of books very quickly because yeah. of how you know it because it's three because it's three books in a bookshelf right and then it's six books to fill up a chisel bookshelf so it's twice as many books you go through them very very quickly uh the actual bookshelf itself is not that hard to make um the thing that i am really hoping for is that they give us a choice to use either chisel bookshelves or regular bookshelves for enchanting because sure, I yeah. really feel that they would increase the visual appeal of an enchanting setup. Enchanting setups to me just feel there's only a couple of different ways to do them and have them look halfway decent. They always just feel like something functional you have to do in Minecraft. And then you either have to hide it or do your best. And you're never really happy with it because it's all, you're so tied by how it works. And I think that while it would be more expensive, I'm okay with the higher expense for materials to have a better looking enchanting setup if they would allow us to do something with the chisel bookshelves. And I mean, if they really wanted to create some unique ideas, uh, have the distance that that chisel bookshelves need to be from an enchanting table longer. Like if you could widen the distance and maybe have it be a little bit more um, customizable, then that would be really cool. But only for chisel bookshelves because the, you know if they're more expensive, they're more late game. So, you know, you get more range out of a fancier one than you do a, a regular bookshelf. But I had fun with them and I, I ran out of material. So I have not really completed the full pass of West Hill where I'm going back and I'm replacing the ones that I want to be chiseled as chiseled bookshelves. So I'm going to have to go and get more leather and more um, more paper for that. But when I do, I'm absolutely going to be doing a full pass and just kind of like going through a bunch of buildings and being just like, yeah, this needs some and this needs some. And it'll, I think it'll look much, much better. Do you have silk touch on your axe? 
Yes. Because that's the thing that tripped me up when I first made a chiseled bookshelf, was I broke it using a regular axe. I hadn't got my enchanting setup like fully done yet, and hadn't, hadn't, I still don't have silk touch on my axe. And I forgot that because regular bookshelves work this way, if you break it without silk touch, you get the books back, but the shelf itself breaks. I forgot that that's also the same with chiseled bookshelves. So you don't get the bookshelf back, you just get whatever contents it had, and if you break right. it without silk touch on its own, if there aren't any bookshelves in it, you just don't get a block back. And I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> this thing isn't made of glass, what's going on? And then, yeah, it, it's another thing that takes a little bit of adjusting, but if you're a player who's already got an established set of tools and you prefer silk touch on your axe anyway, as all discerning gentlemen do, because you get mushroom blocks out of it, then I think it's, um, you know, one of those things that's never going to really come across your, your radar. But that was one of those things that I, I, I had a double take when I did it the first time in the survival mm. guide world. And I was like, oh yeah, that's a, that's a mechanic I need to remember, is that you don't just get the shelf back because you need silk touch for it. I was actually considering on stream putting down some of the bookshelves that I was removing and breaking them with a non silk touch axe so I can get the books quickly to then put in the chiseled bookshelves. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've got enough. I've got enough wood that I can make, you know, anything I want. But I, I the books is and the, I, I it's late game. I have enough leather and I have enough books. I don't think it would be a problem. The thing would just be like, it's just a I have to stop what I'm doing. I have to go back to Dartmouth Meadows or I have to go back somewhere where I've got all this stuff stored around the server. And it just it takes time to go get it and bring it back. So I just have to maybe just prepare myself for that kind of run or or the next time that I'm going to do something like repair my elytra or repair a pickaxe, just remember to add to the to-do list, get more leather, get more sugarcane or whatever it is that you need, right? I honestly turn to villager trading for getting lots and lots of bookshelves because you can buy them from certain librarians if they have that trade oh, in their opening, right. their, their opening trades. Ah. So yeah, like that that's typically how I end up getting lots of bookshelves for big projects like decorating a, a massive library or something like mm -hmm. that is I'll, I'll buy them all from librarians. And we'll get into more villager trading stuff in today's main discussion, actually. Um, but in the meantime, how about we get into the news? That sounds like a plan, even though there is not a lot of news, uh, just a, a single item to discuss. The Minecraft team will no longer post official change logs to the Minecraft Reddit. SliceLime informed the Minecraft Reddit community that after recent site-wide changes to rules and moderation across Reddit, quote, we no longer feel that Reddit is an appropriate place to post official content or refer our players to, end quote. He later clarified that this only refers to the Java edition change logs, which have been posted on Reddit by either himself or another member of the Java team since 1.15. This does not mean the Minecraft or Microsoft team will stop posting on Reddit in an official capacity, just that they're stepping back from seeing Reddit as a place to share official release information. Yeah, I figured this was worth including just because, again, there's little to no snapshot or beta news from either Java or Bedrock Edition, but I think this is important to discuss from a, a community perspective. I'm not a Reddit user, never have been, and I've been on a little bit here and there to kind of like get into information from games where the user base uses Reddit a lot, like Satisfactory is a good example where you, there's a lot of stuff that's shared on Reddit. Um, but I just, I don't like the design of the platform. I've never found it really reliable for information because I find that if I get like tech help, I'm looking up how to do something online and it takes me to Reddit. I just, I get someone saying, this is how you do it. And someone saying, no, that's not how you do it. And it's like, well, which is it? You know, and I find it really unreliable yeah. in that way. Um, so I'm not in the know. What are the changes that Reddit has made that's, that's pushed this decision from the um, Minecraft team? So without getting too far into it, because again, this is something that I only understand from a peripheral kind of community perspective. 
Um, it's the Reddit is sort of following suit with a few other apps that are charging for access to their API. Um, I think Twitter has been doing this recently as well, and that's purportedly to prevent people from training AI models using, uh. say, Reddit discussion boards for machine learning without them having to pay for it, right? Um, but the problem with this is that it's also priced out third-party Reddit apps used by folks like you who don't really like the design of the platform, and it makes it kind of more palatable or puts it all into a readable RSS feed or whatever. Um, and many of those can't afford to keep up the price of API access and are closing down. Um, so recently, a bunch of subreddits, there's been 9,000 plus, I think almost 10,000 subreddits, shut down in protest. They went private over a weekend to protest the the changes to the API, and that included r slash Minecraft. And then they were forced to reopen. Um, there's a thread about this that I think is stickied at the top of the Minecraft subreddit if people want to go there for the information about this. But um, the moderators were told in general terms, but fairly concrete terms, that they were likely to be removed and replaced if they kept the subreddit locked down, despite the fact that on r slash Minecraft they took a poll and the majority of the community was in favor of continuing to protest the API changes. Um, basically, the overall impression that we're getting from this is that Reddit is sort of in a position where they're putting profit before community, at least as far as the community perspective goes. And so it seems like, you know, as somebody who's been using Reddit for a while and is, you know, sharing the change logs and whatnot, SliceLime sort of either made the decision or discussed it with his colleagues and they collectively made the decision that Reddit just kind of leaves a bad taste in the mouth at this point and as a community focused post mm. it didn't really feel like the right sort of place to be sharing it anymore um the folks who run the minecraft subreddit are probably still going to be posting the change logs but they won't be coming from an official source in the same way so they'll be compiled by whoever's been doing that previously i'm pretty sure one of the mods used to do it before slice lime and the, the mojang team saw that as a an opportunity for it to come straight from the horse's mouth as it were right um, so, so that'll still continue, but it'll be in less of an official capacity. And well, that makes sense. Uh, cause I've had a couple of Twitter applications that I really like just stop working slash no longer accessible to me because of the API changes of Twitter, same, same deal where they are charging companies for it or charging more for it than is, you know, attainable by these companies. I think it was Tweet Tweetbot, yeah. I think was one of my favorite Twitter apps. And it wasn't free, but it was like I was happy to pay the four dollars for the app because it was a such a good experience compared to um using Twitter natively. And for someone I have less now, but back when I was doing m several podcasts, I was I had many Twitter accounts because we'd have to you know, broadcast that there was a new episode or we'd have to, you know, advertise someone that we'd be interviewing on Comics Coast to Coast or something. So I had like several different, you know, uh, accounts that I had to manage and switching on the Tweetbot app, I think it was, was a lot easier. And I think I could even have like different colors for like your profile. So like you could log in and realize very quickly, oh, I'm on the wrong profile. This is blue. I need to be on red for me, you know, or blue for Comics Coast to Coast and stuff like that. I could be remembering it wrong. It's also been a long time. Um, but yeah, like that kind of stuff, um, when these companies change, and this actually touches a little bit on what we were talking about in the render distance too, when these platforms decide to change and are no longer keeping the interests of their users top of mind, uh, the ripple effects are quick. And I mean, it's the internet. Sometimes there's a lot of heavy reactions and I'm not saying that they're all warranted, but 
in in times it can be it can feel like people are jumping ship you know or it, it feels like well if this happens and this stops being a place where i get my minecraft news you know like wh like where do we go and the thing that i will point out is that while there is always a blog post when they have a snapshot or they release a new version of minecraft i rely on our discord to find the link for it because sometimes even going to minecraft.net on a wednesday when you know there's a new post and you've seen people talking about it it doesn't show up like it's not there yeah. to just click on it's not like it's top of the page say like, yeah there's a new thing it's it, it, whatever you know system they have there it's not always really easy to find and if someone was using reddit in a way that puts this right in front of them the day of the moment it comes out i can see that being really frustrating i think the decision to remove the change logs from reddit because it's sort of taking this anti-community stance is honestly in line with what mojang have been doing with this update with the update having such a focus on community and inclusivity and that kind of thing um jumbo sale in our live chat's also pointing out that there are apps that are built on the reddit api that uh moderators use to help moderate or you know disabled users can have improved accessibility for the site which yeah if those go away then that cuts out a large portion of the community and so it kind of makes sense thematically speaking with what mojang have been doing with 1.20 to say well we need to have this have a community focus because without the community what are we you know mm -hmm. so i think that's it's just a it felt like a, a poignant decision in in the uh in, in, within sort of recent context of what they've been doing with Minecraft itself. And I, and I think, you know, if it's something that, you know, one of the most popular video games on the planet can make a stand on, then great. You know, like, I think that that's something that you don't see enough of. Like, sure, users will, will get um, vocal online about different changes to different platforms. But when big companies can say like, nope, this is wrong and, and move or, or make a decision like this that won't really so much affect their users because as you said like there's probably going to be other people that will pick up the slack and that information will probably still get out there but in official capacity i think it says something uh it reminds me of the the stuff going back and forth with streamlabs desktop and and obs studio and how a lot of people were just vocally saying like i'm a big streamer and i'm just going to use obs studio i'm going to teach myself how to use it because I, I prefer the way that they're doing business and i think that kind of stuff matters depending on the size of the organization that's that's making the change absolutely well let's move on into chunk mail for this week uh if you'd like to email the show the email address is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com we're loving all of the emails we're getting about the 1.20 update and what people think what features you are focusing on and all that kind of stuff but we have an email that comes from a slightly different perspective this one's from imp imperfect who is returning to minecraft after a decade hi joel and picks in last week's episode 251 you asked for the experiences of people returning to minecraft i started playing minecraft just after inf dev turned into alpha i won't bother you with my personal history but life happened and i quit playing all video games in 2011. I started playing Minecraft again during the early pandemic, nearly a decade later. My first experience with new Minecraft was not being able to craft a bed because one of my three wool wasn't white. I didn't make shields for six months simply because I constantly forgot they existed. Now I've beaten the Ender Dragon multiple times, I have maxed out enchantments on my full netherite gear and a trading hall with 40 villagers, and it only took three years to catch up. 
From my perspective, horses, nether fortresses, and dark oak forests are equally as new as netherite, illager raids, and bees. I couldn't tell you whether foxes are newer than acacia trees or not. One of my least favourite new additions are the Drowned. On the other hand, the recipe book is a brilliant addition now that the game has a truly ridiculous amount of crafting recipes. I'm curious to hear from people who've started playing Minecraft recently because I feel like Minecraft now has a learning curve as steep and long as a software like Blender. Imp Imperfect walked into a pit of lava because he was too distracted, wondering how the tradition of death message sign-offs began. <laughs> That's an interesting question. Should look that up in the uh, the lore of the podcast. Yeah, I don't remember. It's been a long time. Like it, it happened early, early on, and then people just sort of jumped onto the onto the train, and it's it snowballed. Yeah. It definitely snowballed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're more interesting and broad now. Not everyone dies in a, in a pit of lava in every sign-off message. I would say eight out of 10 people don't make it, but there's still some colorful, interesting ways that people are distracted by lovely sunsets or something, you know, they don't always end up, uh, you know, in a demise situation. Uh, but it, for a while there, it was like, not morbid, it wasn't gross, but like people were really getting hammered. <laughs> you know, there was a while where <laughs> no one was surviving in their sign-off messages and in and, and very distinct and, um, swift ways it was just like there is no question you are dewd -E dead um when it when it comes to the sign off messages but I, i've always liked them I, I think that and the more clever they are the more i enjoy them yeah definitely um so so to the emails point um it's it's interesting to get the perspective of somebody who had a nearly 10 year gap in their their playing history and that would be the case for a lot of people who are coming back to Minecraft around, I think 1.13 was really the, the yep. biggest mm -hmm. update in recent memory for returning players. And so a lot of people sort of showed up to Oceans having a bunch of new stuff in them from Ocean Temples and Guardians that had been around for a while at that point to all of the stuff that was added in the update Aquatic with Kelp and Seagrass and Turtles and Dolphins and whatnot. And so... Yeah, suddenly, and the drowned, uh, Imp Imperfect's least favorite new edition. But you you end up with a very different perspective on the world after that, and that's not counting everything that's happened since, with terrain generation being totally different. I expect some people, if they get the right world seed now, if you return to Minecraft having played in previous editions, you must think you've loaded up an amplified world with how tall some of the mountains yeah. get, and the, the potential to spawn in mountainous terrain is uh, definitely part of that. I was thought it was really interesting that they brought up the learning curve because, you know, when you compare Minecraft in 2023 to, say, 2012, um, and for people that are unaware, that was the very scary update, which introduced witches, bats, wither skeletons, and the wither in 2012. In 2013 was uh, 1.5, the redstone update that brought in hoppers and comparators and a bunch of other new redstone components. And I didn't come into Minecraft until the very, very tail end of 1.11. So 1.12, the color update was the one that I got in there. That was has like glazed terracotta and some other stuff. I think concrete was in there too. And for me, I, like I feel like because I've been playing the whole time, I don't feel that big smack in the face about a, a learning curve or things getting more complicated. But I have compared minecraft to like you know it's digital lego you know you're talking to somebody at a dinner party that doesn't quite understand what you do but they know lego because lego's been around for like 75 years or something and so they they say okay well that's that sounds pretty simple but 
as someone that builds Lego on a regular basis, I can tell you Lego is no longer simple. Like you can have some extremely intricate and complicated builds. Uh, I'm building Ecto-1 right now from Ghostbusters Afterlife. And some of the connections are blowing my mind. Like some of the things in this, <laughs> it, it is a very cool kit. And when I think about what I do in Minecraft, like you and I, you know, creating Minecraft content and some of the other people we've had on this podcast and people that we watch on a regular basis. If you're new to the game and you're watching somebody play Minecraft at, I will say this level, not to kind of separate, but like just for for, for the sake of a, a good way to say it, I could see it being very intimidating. Like if you want, if you, especially if you happen to come into something like a Hermitcraft server when it's at the tail end or it's been up for six months, right? And you go, my gosh, this, I'd like to try this game, but how on earth do these people do this? I, I think mm -hmm. it's no longer just like placing blocks on top of each other and, and building like a little square house. Like when you see, like I still have this reaction when I watch, you know, um, Fwip or, or Mythical Sausage build something. I'm just like, wait a minute, hold on, back up. How did they do that? Because it, it looks yeah. so unlike what I've experienced sometimes in game. And, and that now data packs and mods aside, even just the vanilla game for me, like I... I look at it and I think like, man, is it accessible for, for new players now? Like if you were, if you were just coming into it, like how much of it would get overwhelming really quickly? Cause you start to get those recipes in the recipe book and things start to unravel like real fast. Like there's this, the broadening happens and you might've even just experienced this recently. So because you, now, and it's different when the content that you make is, is tutorial nature. So obviously the Minecraft survival guide, you know, season three, really helps people that might be new to the game or parents or spouse or or partners or family members of people that are into the game that are just like i just want to understand it but you know like i can't quite get it having you know a tutorial series is great but as you were playing do you remember the moment when all of a sudden things started to get more complicated in that playthrough in in season three i mean not really it's like it's it's gradual enough for me at this mm. point and and i have enough experience with it that i don't think it's too bad i think really it's just the the choice paralysis of like which direction do you go once you've been right. mining for the first time and you've got you know your, yeah. your first diamonds what you spend those on whether you immediately go mining for more and stockpile those and go to full diamond or if you if you want to spend a bit of time exploring and trying something else instead of spending the whole early game in a cave. Um, but I, I think one of the balancing acts that Minecraft has sort of perfected, or at least been very good at over the years, is keeping a lot of mechanics either intuitive or discoverable. Because the entire game is based on this foundation of you left-click to break something, you right-click to place it or interact with something, if you can't do anything with it yet, you don't have the right tools yet. So you can kind of muddle your way through for the most part. And uh, I'm really glad that Imp Imperfect mentioned discovering the recipe book because that's how you learn you can't make a bed with multiple colors of wool. It reminds you how to make a shield if you forget that shields exist. You can look that stuff up in game now. And that wasn't the case when I started playing Minecraft. I started on a simpler version. It was on the Xbox 360 version, which was around the around the time I was playing it was the equivalent of, I think, Minecraft 1.3 or 1.4. Horses hadn't been added to the game yet. I don't think the Wither was in there either. They just added Nether Fortresses and Blazes and Emeralds and Trading and that kind of stuff and Anvils. And so there was 
a bit of a leap between that and Java Edition for me, but by that time I had had enough experience with the Xbox version that I knew what was coming in Java Edition because I looked at the Minecraft wiki and I knew what was missing from my game. I was like, oh, I'm looking forward to making hay bales and experiencing Podzol and things. <laughs> and so, like, I, I drip-fed that stuff through community knowledge, right. through the Minecraft wiki. And that's the kind of thing that I'm now trying to recreate for people through series like Survival Guide if they're more visual learners and they want a, a video reference for that stuff. And I think Minecraft's learning curve is only really steep if you go into it expecting to learn everything quickly. Um, or, yeah, in, in the case of, yeah, the Hermitcraft server or whatever you've been watching, if you're expecting to reach the level of experience of the stuff that you've seen from people who've been playing frequently for a decade, um, I think it's still possible in Minecraft to do a lot of stuff manually. And Minecraft is very forgiving about that so you might look at redstone and go oh i don't really know what to do with that that's kind of like a, a foreign concept to me let me try and figure that out in future and you're sort of muddling through and you know you you learn that you can connect a pressure plate to a door and it opens and that's that's redstone you're doing redstone now and so you you figure out little things like that that help your gameplay as it exists right now instead of going to like well how do i make a computer right like you don't yeah. you don't always make that leap immediately and that's where the steep learning curve begins I think people can quite happily harvest bamboo by punching it without ever learning that it's more effective to cut it down with a sword. But then there's a layer of depth there where, like, every time you cut down bamboo with a sword because a sword is meant for combat and not breaking blocks, it takes two durability off the sword so your sword breaks faster. There's, like, levels of knowledge that you don't really need to know. And it's all being conveyed to you pretty much visually since there's less text in the game. And so you can figure out some of that stuff on your own slowly or you can go the level of like diving into the community knowledge pool and finding all of that stuff out but then if you try and retain all of that knowledge at once it's going to feel overwhelming before you even figure out what an observer does to build an automatic bamboo farm that is then getting you all the bamboo that you need for this new block that's suddenly in the game and it can feel overwhelming but i think the strength of minecraft has always been in community knowledge whether it's the wiki whether it's youtube videos however you find your information so you know just talking to friends about minecraft and, and understanding people's experiences from the last little while you'll pick up odds and ends you'll listen to me and joel talk on the podcast or you'll listen to you know somebody talking about it in real life or you'll you'll watch a video and you just retain one or two facts about minecraft that you didn't know before and that's how your own knowledge base builds and that's how you eventually get enough experience that some of the stuff that's new to you now will start to feel natural after a little while i'm glad you brought up that minecraft does manual so well uh i think mm -hmm. that because it makes it accessible and it gets you through a huge chunk we still have a manual tree farm there is no automatic tree farm on the citadel because we just know enough ways to get tree wood fast enough that it just doesn't warrant you know we also don't have a tnt duper so like there's there's certain ways that it just wouldn't make any sense um or it would like it would just be it would be more work than it would be worth and but i think it's it's worth that experience of like chopping down sugarcane manually chopping down bamboo manually to the point where like all right well, i have a lot of this but for whatever thing that pops into your head from the next project that's when you're like okay now i need a ton of this and I do not want to do it manually because I know what that's like. And I think that's an interesting kind of point where like you reach that that um, 
necessity point where like, okay, I don't have time in my life to do this by hand. Like I have to figure out a different way to do it. That pushes you into more complicated stuff. And I think that's also a good point about the, the choice paralysis. And I think that's maybe where some people feel that Minecraft could be intimidating, where for the first little bit in the game, in a new world, you're guided by progress. You're guided by protecting yourself, feeding yourself, surviving, uh, exploring a little bit, stuff like that. But when it gets to the point where you're like, as you said, do I want to mine more? Do I want to explore more? Do I want to build more? Do I want to look for these armor trims if you even know that there's more than one out there? Like that kind of stuff I feel like is where people get overwhelmed and and they feel like, well, now I have to make a decision as to what to do as opposed to following the rails and kind of like going through the, the, the progression. Uh, and that's an interesting point too. On the flip side, I don't know that Minecraft from 2013, if you drop it into a modern gamer, like pretend if you can, that Minecraft doesn't exist and, and it comes onto the scene in its 2013 format. I don't think people would be that interested in it. I feel like it would be, it would feel pretty simple compared to other games like Fortnite or Deep Rock Galactic or Satisfactory or like the even in within its genre of sandbox, you know, builders, I feel like it might feel a little bit um, behind or a lot behind, really. Uh, and yeah, that's one of the yeah. reasons why I get so excited about the new additions like Hanging Signs and and like the um, not programmable skulk sensor, what they called? They're called... Um, Calibrated. calibrated thank you calibrated calibrated skulk sensor. Yeah. sensor like those kind of changes you know they help make minecraft more modern in a way and i think that it keeps it accessible to i want to say the savvy gamer that's coming into minecraft having played a lot of other similar games i think they'll catch on and be more satisfied quickly whereas if someone's coming in i often think about people that are new to minecraft as not necessarily gamers like i feel like they're also new to gaming for one, I don't know why. I, I think because Minecraft is just such a an accessible game that's usually younger kids that are brought into it at first. Yeah. And and if it, if it's an older person, it's usually a younger person bringing them in. Just statistically, I would say it's probably like parents coming in to play with their kids, that kind of thing. And mm -hmm. and I I I can see that. And I would be very interested on the data to know, to know like of the new players to Minecraft, how many of them are also just in general new to gaming as in, you know, in their lives at this level. It'd be a very interesting conversation to have. Yeah. Maybe at some point we'll get an email from somebody who's like, I have picked up Minecraft yesterday. <laughs> and, or, or they picked up Minecraft because they found out about this podcast. It seems uh, unlikely because I feel like we're pretty deep into yeah. Minecraft at this point. Yeah. But yeah, we'll uh, we'll see. Next email comes in from Evil Shadow, Wandering Armor Trim Traders. Hey, Pix and Joel. Hope you're doing well. In episode 249, you talked about the possibility of villagers having an armor trim as a trade option, but I think it could be exploited very easily. This got me thinking about trading for armor terms in general, and I think it would be most balanced by doing it with the Wandering Trader. They could have a very low chance of having an armor trim, which could be locked to a single trade so the player only gets one armor trim. They could either have all of the existing armor trims or they could have a unique armor trim only available through trading with them. In Minecraft 1.17, we were hyped to see these traders for small drip leaf, whereas normally they'd not get much uses. So adding an item which can only be obtained through trading with them 
could make players happy to see them once again. I would love to hear your thoughts on this. Thank you for reading. Evil Shadow found two extra leads in his inventory because the trader had no trims. <laughs> and we will always be left wondering what happened to that wandering exactly, trader. Exactly, right? Um, I think I might have mentioned this either as part of our previous discussion on armor trims or subsequently um but voodoo beard who's a data pack creator in the community has a trim trader data pack uh, over at mc.voodoobeard.com we'll have that linked in the show notes um and that's a data pack that effectively does what evil shadow is suggesting the wandering trader always sells a randomized smithing template which is either one of the 16 trims or the netherite upgrade and each trade costs eight diamonds plus the template materials. So eight diamonds and some netherrack will get you the netherite upgrade if that's the trade that they have available. It kind of makes it similar to the duplication crafting recipe, adding another diamond like as almost like the wandering trader's fee. And because you don't have a, a, another item to throw in there as the, uh, the upgrade template. But uh, I think that's a neat way of doing it for people who don't want the exploration aspect, for maybe people who are reticent to travel to the dangerous structures like ancient cities and whatnot um but then i do think that part of the value of armor trim is in exploration like that that's the the idea behind it is to give people more incentive to explore and be excited about structures so you're really just removing the reasons people are excited about structures and giving more excitement to the wandering trader in exchange it's sort of like a one for the other trade instead of something that feels like an expansion to armor trim trading and i mean he's ransacking all of these places and stealing artifacts from cultures and and selling them to yeah, you yeah yeah so, he's, he's looting yeah. with those 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 llamas are his accomplices he's a wandering always. pirate <laughs> i uh <laughs> yeah it's not a bad idea and i agree with you um it only works if the trim that the armor that you get from a wandering trader would be unique to the wandering trader so this goes back to what we talked about uh either last episode or the episode before where Mojang has laid the grounds for potential expansion should they want to. And if they decide, mm -hmm. ah, we have an idea for one more armor trim, but where are we going to put it? They could give it to the wandering trader as like, oh, here's yet another armor trim. If you want to go get it, then you can get it. And it would be probably, you know, I won't say easy, uh, but as accessible as like finding it in a shipwreck, because you tend to run into shipwrecks fairly often. You tend to see the wandering trader a lot. So it's it's basically just a matter of time before you get a trade for uh, an armor trim if if they were to give one to the wandering trader now i say that and i also remember just how long it took took a member of uh the server on the citadel to find drip leaf from the wandering trader uh the, yeah. to the point where like they weren't happy to see them <laughs> it was more like yeah. i'm angry at you by default will you surprise me or will you give me leads it all depends on on whether or not you have drip leaf uh and i and i think for me it's not going to change my mind about the wandering trader I don't particularly find them that useful. But again, that's coming from end game. I think I would look at the Wandering Trader a lot differently in a new a new game, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, I think also uh, for me, what we've done and how I can kind of run a parallel to this is that we have the Wandering Trades data pack from Vanilla Tweaks on the Citadel. And that trades mini blocks. So the they're player head-sized versions of all the different blocks in the game. But of course, you don't get all of them in a single list from the Wandering Trader. It has a random assortment every time they show up. So it makes me actually want to go over and trade with them. I have to have enough emeralds. I get, I think it's one emerald and a block of that type gets you eight mini blocks as if you've cut a Minecraft cube into, you know, eight little 
quarter chunks or eighth chunks, I guess is a better way to say it. And I found it really useful. They're fun to decorate with. You can put like little versions of um, beehives and barrels around. And it really has changed most of the time that I see the wandering trader. Uh, if I'm not in the mood, if I'm building something that doesn't require mini blocks or I already have enough and he's just in my face, I'm fed up. I don't want to deal with him. But but for the a while there, when I was doing a lot of interior design on uh, the West Hill build, when I saw the Wandering Trader, I'd be like, oh, stop the presses. Let's stop what we're doing. Go get some emeralds and see what they've got. And and I think that that is, um, it's, it, to me, it would say if they had an armor trim and armor trim was something that you were interested in, I think it would change the way that you see the Wandering Trader. If you knew at some point they might have a unique trim to, to um, trade with you. And I think the Wandering Trader's outfit being quite recognizable, you could do something similar to what you do with the Vex armor trim, where mm, it's mm -hmm. got the Evoker's eyebrows on it. You know, like you could maybe style your armor a little bit closer to the Wandering Trader's outfit, and that could potentially be a fun way of doing it. I think the problem with the, the Wandering Trader's outfit is because it's more about shape than it is about style, but you still have that, like, gold outline yep. around his hood and everything that you could maybe add to a helmet and so there's there's potential there yeah i i do like the idea of adding more stuff to the wandering trader in the sense of it being a unique item to him um because yeah that do that does give people more incentive to interact with him and look at it more positively i don't know if necessarily him having all of the other armor trims is it it, it almost feels like it's too much oh yes i know? agree with like, that yeah considering that his highest value trade is like six emeralds for some blue ice right now it sort of feels a little bit like yeah they're they're, they're too too overpowered at that point but like i said for, for a uh almost like an accessibility feature if you like like as as a way of incentivizing people to try out armor trim if they have no interest whatsoever in seeking out an ancient city then maybe it's good for players who are like that or players who play on Peaceful and want to get the Elder Guardians trim. Although, do Elder Guardians spawn on Peaceful? They just don't attack you? I forget. I can't remember exactly how those mechanics work. Well, speaking of trades, uh, you had something that you wanted to talk about in the main discussion this week that involved uh, villager trades. Yeah, obviously I'm at the stage in Survival Guide when I'm trading with villagers and, and looking at villagers uh, kind of for the duration of this week, probably. And so I've been pondering a few questions about the role of villagers in 1.20. And it's the kind of ideas that maybe we haven't quite had the dust settle yet on what, you know, the, 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 the way villagers balance now that we've got a few new additions. But I think as far as, like, the diamond balance goes, like, d does having diamond equipment trades from villagers feel a bit more balanced now that armor trim is giving us extra uses for raw diamonds right so is this a good direction for mojang to take it where they can you know comfortably add additional uses for diamonds knowing that villagers are there for the player if they feel like you know they need to have a, an extra diamond pickaxe they can just go and buy one from a toolsmith um the other stuff that i've been thinking about has largely been from community feedback on my comments and streams where people have said why aren't there villagers for cherry groves why isn't there like a village that generates in a cherry grove since plains villages generate in meadows but meadows don't have a unique villager they just have a plains village generate there does that happen in cherry groves if not why not and if they're 
are all of these different unique villager outfits, including you know jungles and swamps that don't have villages that generate naturally. Why can't there be one for cherry groves or mangroves or the deep dark? Um, and lastly, should Mojang consider adding some of these new features to villagers' trades to diversify the opportunities for players to encounter them? Like, should the toolsmith trade you an archaeology brush? Or is it better that these villagers remain kind of static and they have this set of trades that they already have and they can kind of let new features speak for themselves and encourage the exploration that we've seen growing as a theme in Minecraft's recent updates? Um, regardless of that, I would like to preface this discussion by saying, given my recent PC issues, I'd also like to discuss backing up your worlds. Please do it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I will remind everybody to back up their worlds. That was the first note I took for this show, was like, regardless of main topic, tell people to back up their worlds. Do it now. Um, but yeah, go going into it really, I think villages are one of those features which takes Minecraft into sandbox territory more than survival game territory, and that I think is the 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 fulcrum upon which a lot of these arguments pivot because it's easy to farm tools armor weapons from even a basic villager trading setup and you're getting stuff with default basic enchants you can grindstone those off and re-enchant them if you want to and for a lot of people i think that rubs up against their idea that minecraft is a survival game and that stuff like this should be difficult to obtain and I think really the villagers belong more into the sandbox style of gameplay where it's another avenue for you to explore. You know, if you want to obtain a diamond pickaxe really quickly, you've still got to put a bit of effort in trading with a toolsmith. But once you've done that, infinite diamond pickaxes as long as you can throw some sticks at a Fletcher to get emeralds in exchange. And so I think it's really important for them to introduce new uses for raw diamonds to sort of balance that especially in late game when you're stockpiling diamonds and you kind of look around going what are these for and you know one of the options that you can do with with raw diamonds is to craft them into fireworks because they have a unique pattern to them if you craft them with a diamond and it's like so now i'm just blowing these precious resources up these things that started as the most valuable thing to me at one point the only real use for them now is you know, diamond blocks everywhere, disposable things, jukeboxes, that kind of stuff. So I do think it's a, a good thing. Although I don't know for certain if armor trim feels like a good long-term use for a stockpile of diamonds, and that's it. But I think it's it's maybe going in the right direction, and I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts on that. So with the villager trades, because we're so late game on the Citadel, I just happen to have enough diamonds sitting around that if I need a new chest plate or if i need a new pickaxe because i had to upgrade some netherite stuff recently and so i didn't have the right diamond axe or whatever and i just i just made one you know like because i just i have enough diamonds lying around so i've not really used villager trades for tools so much as i have used the librarians for enchanted books and that's because i would much rather do that than uh mill around with the enchanting table trying to get the rng to give me the right enchantment i would rather grind through the trades with a librarian work up myself to have enough uh emeralds to then get the exact book that i want for that enchant um or at least mm -hmm. a couple of books that i can combine you know like i'm breaking three if it's really cheap you just get two and you combine them um that kind of stuff has been my interaction with villagers for the longest time i don't even think i don't even think we had grindstones when we built our villager trading hall so it's old um for example we're also uh, it was before I realized that Fletcher's had the best trade for emeralds. We we're still using farmers 
uh so wheat and carrots and stuff like that for for emeralds uh and i think pumpkins and melons too um but we have some we have some low trades like it's pretty easy to get enough emeralds to enchant some stuff but it's not something i do very often especially again because netherite has happened and so i don't lose pickaxes and tools that often in lava you know uh because uh if anything it's like i despawn or i, I something falls in the ground and i you know and it disappears because it was in a shulker box or something that happens more often to me than anything else and um so when it comes to trading like we just i don't really think about them for tools so much now i think that would be a different tune if i was someone that played hardcore regularly or skyblock or even a peaceful world uh i think that for two reasons with hardcore and skyblock well skyblock you're just so limited like you can't really dig for diamonds another way so like that's kind of like the best way to get diamonds uh diamond tools in skyblock um with peaceful or hardcore hardcore specifically maybe you don't want to go down to the caves because you're going to risk death in the end of your world if that's the case and so it might be easier to get things going you know with um with villagers but also because i've been spending so much time on the sigil in the last six years that i think if i was to start a new world I would like, as you said, in the sandbox way to take a different road. I mean, like, I know I can just go dig diamonds if I want to, uh, but I may not want to because I've done that before. You know, so if you're trying something new, starting a new world, starting a new server with friends and just deciding, you know what, I'm not going to dig for diamonds this time around. I'm going to try the villager trade route to see how good, bad, frustrating that is. Um, speaking of the frustrating, that's one of the reasons why I also don't deal with villagers and trading that much because I do find them a pain in the butt to move around. Uh, I always threaten that I'm going to remove the sounds or change something about the way that they sound. I never do. Um, that might be something I do in my sci-fi setup just for fun. But like, I just, I feel like I need to, um, look at them a little bit closer in, in some ways. Cause I know there are some things that I, tr I tried in, uh, the modern city to set up some masons because I thought it would be a better way to get a, a vast amount of quartz blocks for building in the modern city. Cause a lot of you need like the smooth, more modern looking blocks. And I think they ultimately died. Like I think zombies came in and killed them or something, or they got changed. Mm -hmm. I can't remember exactly what happened because again, I feel like that might've been set up before the, the villager update where they had workstations and stuff. Well, no, that couldn't have been true because we wouldn't have had the masons at all. There, yeah, they'd have been stonemasons. It yeah. might have been like we might have reset the server and then somehow didn't set it to hard. So they ended up like properly dying as opposed to. Uh, sure. Yeah. You know, something like that. I don't remember what or happened. Like they've been they've been zombified. It gets set to peaceful by accident and they despawn. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. Something like yeah. that. Because because I remember losing them from the bank because I had them in the bank. And the idea was the basement of the bank was our storage for all the blocks in the city and then the bankers quote unquote were the traders where you could get your your mason <laughs> they're they're all like tellers yeah they're exactly no, that's exactly the where they were yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but somehow they they died or they got out you know and then of course the zombies got out in the suns the zombie villagers got out and they died in the sunshine i don't know how how it happened but i'm so i want to go back and address that because again it would be faster and better than um getting quartz the other way around i think is quartz a trade for uh piglins as well because that could be another way to do it um, yeah you, you get quartz items from them right. but it's slower and right. you, you end up with like you have to have a pretty substantial piglin bartering setup because right. you're getting like 12 other items yeah. with it okay. right but yeah I've, I've also seen a few other people express that opinion that like getting the op trades from villagers is worthwhile after the hassle of getting them to cooperate with you right and it, yeah it, it, it kind of depends on your approach i'm sort of fine like you know throwing them in a boat if they're not behaving and they just kind of like st stick there and you know you can break the boat with them surrounded in a box and then they're at least in a two by two area that you can control yeah and after a while yeah i i, I kind of get used to wrangling them at this point but 
yeah, I, I think as far as going back to the diamond balance thing, um, I think people... You, you've got to look at the average player and not like the average player like you and I, the, the people who are sort of deep in Minecraft enough to be discussing it on a podcast. I'm talking about like the average player. Right, yeah. I think if if you're talking about armor trims, there are 16 armor trims plus the netherite upgrade template. Each one of those costs seven diamonds to reproduce. Assuming you want to clone each one once, you're looking at roughly two stacks of diamonds, like just under. I think for the average player, that's a pretty substantial amount. That's not nothing. Like I yeah. think... Yeah, like for the most part, like you, you feel like diamonds are a scarce resource if you're somebody who plays Minecraft for a couple of hours on the weekend every week. And so I think those kind of players would be happy to find ways to avoid spending diamonds on new tools and whatnot so they could be spending them on reproducing armor trim and customizing their armor the way they want to. So I think the fact that armor trims now retroactively make the diamond trades from villagers kind of better is is like a is a good thing mm -hmm. for this update and it's a it's a, a way to almost make villagers more valuable to the player without adding anything to them which brings them sort of brings us to the next topic which is whether or not these newer features that come in should be given to villagers as trades the trades haven't really changed since 1.14 the same goes for village generation like some of the back-end tech might have changed the terrain is different now um, but villages and their populations have stayed largely the same. There haven't really been any additions to their number since the village and pillage update. And so there is, of course, the debate of, yeah, should a toolsmith sell you a brush? It is a tool. It is another thing that might diversify their trades. And maybe that gives you a reason to recruit one and you travel with them to a trail ruins and you kind of like, you know, bring them in a boat with you and you try and like at least have that guy around so you can buy another brush from him instead of crafting one yourself. And personally, like I always thought maybe stonemasons should be able to sell us calcite since it's not currently a renewable block, but it's also a desirable one in terms right. of its aesthetic qualities, right? Um, but it really sort of... It depends on your approach again. Like, if you want to go down the villager trading route, I don't think villagers being a source of everything is necessarily the best idea because that then shrinks gameplay down to a bunch of trading interfaces when you could be going out and carving chunks off the face of a mountain. And I, I do think there's... With this update, obviously, there is a an emphasis on exploration. There's an emphasis on players going out and finding stuff out there in the world. And so expecting players to sit with a villager and go through their training interface a whole bunch is maybe antithetical to what they're trying to do with more recent and more modern feeling updates. Something that I like that's a parallel to that is that you don't trade with a mason for raw quartz. You get quartz blocks. And yeah, yeah. if Calcite had refined versions, Mojang, then you could give a refined version of a calcite block to a mason, which would make more sense. Like, you know, why are they just giving you raw rock out of the ground? I can just go get that myself. But if they're giving you the refined version, then if you did want to use the calcite in its raw form for texture, which it has its uses, then you still have to go out and get it. In the same way that if you want to use um, quartz for redstone, you still have to go get raw quartz. You can't just use anything. You can't break stuff from a mason down into usable things for redstone. And I think by having options in that way uh, would be good. But I think that's where the the calcite thing kind of falls apart because there are no other versions of it. And that's where, you, where you'd get that. Like it would undermine going out to get it in the world, as you said, because you can get it um, in its form out there. 
Um, I, I think that when it comes to things like the brush, they could limit it. And I think that one of the things that they could utilize is the fact that they've given us different types of villages. And I think that if you were only able to get a brush for archaeology from a desert toolsmith, that could make sense. You still have to find a desert. You have to find a desert with a village. And then you can potentially get, you know, a trade for a brush there. That would be cool rather than just having any old village and any old um, toolsmith give you, a, you know, be able to trade for a brush. I would honestly want to expand that to desert and tiger villages, because then if you notice that they are the only two that trade you a brush, you're like, oh, what's in the tiger yeah. that I could that's go and find? That's a good call. And that's, and that's maybe something that signposts the existence of trail ruins. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Obviously, it's still, it's still kind of fun if you find them, and you don't just find them in tiger biomes, but those are some of the biomes that they are more common. Um, so yeah, like I think that that has a precedent in the sense that there are some trades which are biome specific, or at least villager outfit specific. Like right now, fishermen villagers trade boats depending on their biome outfit, but there are only five boats that are represented in that. Birch boats have never been traded by any villagers, and then mangrove, bamboo, and cherry are not present in any of those. They haven't been added since those wood types have been added. So you have desert and jungle villagers both trading you jungle wood boats. Tiger and snowy villagers both trade you spruce boats. And swamp villagers trade you dark oak boats. So you have to either find a naturally spawned zombie villager in a swamp and convert it, or breed villagers in a swamp biome, or end up with one of those villages that's sort of halfway over into a swamp biome and some of the villages generate naturally there. But it's kind of interesting to me that you have the opportunity, let's say, for desert or jungle villagers to now trade you a bamboo raft. And then you kind of think, well, how do I make that in the first place? Let me get some of this bamboo and actually turn it into wood. Th th there is potential there for villagers' trades to be expanded into different biome variants and for the biome variants to have more unique variety to them. I think that's kind of a neat concept because it's already possible by virtue of the fact that they have different boats based on their outfit, but they don't tend to make the individual trades of different groups of villagers ever really unique. And it kind of goes back to what we were saying about the Wandering Trader having its own unique armor trim. There are so few things which you can only get from one place, especially with villagers. I don't think there are any villager trades which are unique to villagers. You can acquire everything in different ways. And it's curious to me that they don't give more unique stuff to villagers. They they don't lock specific items or blocks behind villager trading as a unique concept. In the same way that you have to get a totem of undying from killing an evoker. You know, mm. it's it's not quite the same principle. And so, yeah, I'm kind of curious if there's any development philosophy behind that. If it's just that these are a resource that you can find and, you know, players should be able to get stuff multiple different ways. But that applies to villagers and not necessarily to some of the other stuff that you can find out there like like totems and whatnot pure speculation but i would imagine that if there was something that was just attainable by villagers and if it was something that i really wanted i would be rolling my eyes like Ugh, now i have to deal with villagers like, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I feel uh, like that might be part of the friction uh, in that in that setup where um in the same way that some of the best blocks in minecraft are designed in a way that you can use them as intended or you can combine them with other situations or in context, they could be used in a different way. You know, the way that we can use 
glazed terracotta on the wall of a cafe in a modern city and have it look like a painting as opposed to just looking like a glazed you know terracotta block uh, like a floor pattern or, or something like that and I, I think that those kind of blocks are really really cool and I think that having two different ways to get the same thing in Minecraft whether you want to go mining for it it's like is it do you do you have the time uh, and and not care to deal with villagers, so you're just going to go grind for this stuff, or do you have the patience to deal with wrangling these guys, uh, and and then want to deal with that, and then once it's done, never have to go wandering looking for these things again. And I think that that's the trade-off, right? And I think that's it. Just kind of goes into different, you know, different ways to play the game. I think too, like we brought up accessibility earlier. Like if you're someone that cannot play the game for long periods of time for whatever reason or you've got mobility issues where wandering the world is not the easiest thing for you to do with your controller um then being able to set up villagers which i don't know how much easier that would be but if it was just set up you know and and you were able to do that then you no longer had to take this you know the time it would take to go looking for certain items if it was just something you could trade with and i then think that's a good way to have it in the game too um for unique items and unique villages i am surprised that there's not something like a cherry grove village because of how unique and cool the taiga village looks and how unique and cool mm-hmm. the desert village looks there's the the cherry wood is so unique and so interesting and i mean i'm sure there'd be lots of people that would love to have the ability to stumble upon a, a pink village you know and i mean the the trunks of those trees are quite dark too like you could have a very interesting looking uh space i think maybe you know because we go back and forth of, on this a lot one of the reasons that they don't do that is that they might want to encourage players to like well what would your village look like if it was built in a cherry you know in a cherry grove um and i will say the first cherry grove that we stumbled upon on the citadel had a natural occurring village that kind of um like you said spanned those two biomes it must have been like a meadows Mm -hmm. or something and then it was surrounded by in some parts of it it was nestled inside of a cherry grove it looked really cool it looked very very cool like to the point where like i didn't chop that one down i went and found another one uh to, to chop down and left the one with the village in it for someone else to maybe mess around with um but that would be a cool project you know take a village and um, turn it into a cherry grove village or, or what you would imagine it to be so i can see why maybe mojang doesn't do that because then you're you know, you're kind of taking away a potential player project right yeah and i think it's also it adds scope to the update for both like the art teams and the gameplay teams if they add new villages new structures and new outfits to every update that introduces a new biome and that's still minimal reward for the player because the villagers there are most likely to have the same trades that they have in other places so it's not necessarily a desirable additional feature when there is scope for them to add more stuff um that that's unique and and interesting like trail ruins and so yeah I, i think there's there's a couple of pros and cons in in each column really uh, before we get away from it, I will also point out that G the B and Avery in our live chat pointed out that there are some unique villager trades that, from the cartographer. Um, they give you the exploration maps that you can use to find woodland mansions and ocean monuments, which, while they aren't necessarily unable to be found without those, will at least point you in the right direction and have an icon on the map that says this is where it is. And also the globe banner pattern cannot be obtained through the loom, as far as I'm aware, unless you 
obtain the banner pattern from a cartographer villager like you can't make that one you have to buy it so that that is again it's a cosmetic thing but it is important to note that those are unique trades for a for a village um so yeah th there's a few a few other things that are still kind of percolating in my brain that i i don't quite have the right the right words yet for how i feel about villages in 1.20 but i'd be kind of curious to hear if anybody else has found that they're a lot happier with villagers trading diamond stuff now that they're using all of their diamonds for armor trim and stuff like that that i think though is where we will wrap up this episode of the spawn chunks thank you so much for listening folks you can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com the music for the show was composed by me and the spawn chunks is proud to be a listener supported podcast if you're getting some value out of the show why not consider putting some value back in you can do that at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks pledging at any level gets you an invite to our patrons only discord chat you can participate in the live show recording listen in live as we record the show every week and our monthly minecraft audio Audio hangout which was postponed from june should be hopefully coming up later in july where we're hearing from patrons about what they've been building in minecraft this last month we currently have 299 patrons which is down from 300 for the first time in a while uh, but mostly i think because patreon hasn't processed everybody's payments yet they usually uh, fluctuate a little bit at the beginning of the month uh, special thanks as always go out to our content engineer patrons who help really make this show possible that's hunter 555 jumbo sale party voyager and yitz thank you all for your support on this episode it's also worth noting that this weekend in both canada and the u.s is a banking holiday so that's probably why some of the patron stuff is behind fair yeah makes sense Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. Personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance and say you should listen to The Spawn Chunks. And you can find it on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and even YouTube. Be sure to leave a rating or review on your favorite platform. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. The RSS feed is linked on the spawnchunks.com. And the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to The Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixelriffs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash Pixelriffs, where this week I will encourage you to check out my community post that has a few more details about how my schedule is changing with my PC potentially being absent for a while, getting fixed up. Uh, in the meantime, I do still upload the Minecraft Survival Guide Season 3 there, and I stream three days a week on Twitch, where I do behind-the-scenes work for the YouTube series and play a bit of Minecraft bingo when I feel like I'm not going to make too much more progress. I'm also the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. And aside from that, I'm at Pixelriffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything that I'm doing online can be found at joelduggan.com, including a link to the Sigil Cafe, my other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment. You can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I'm streaming almost every day. I'm going to be dialing things a little bit uh, lower for the summer holidays, maybe get out some hiking, get some extracurricular activities in there. Uh, but Lego is regularly on Fridays, Minecraft the rest of the week with a little insert of Satisfactory on Wednesdays. And I'll see you there. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, but you should still back it up. Mm.